What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of For Checking TV. I'm your host, Doug Gladke. Alongside me is my co-host, Scotty Porterfield. And tonight we are joined by a special guest, um, Jesse Marshall of the Athletic Pittsburgh. Jesse, how's it going, man? Good to be back, gentlemen. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, no problem. No problem. We're very excited to have you on because uh, it's finally like we're in hockey season. So, you know, we're going to be able to talk about a lot more, get into a lot more like meat and potatoes type stuff of what we got into over the summer. And, you know, leading off, man, um, did you expect this from Danton Heinen, like right off the bat? Because (laughs) I'm surprised. Uh, I don't know. You know, I no. I mean, probably not. Right. Like probably not. But like I had a conversation on uh, uh, our podcast, Dying Alive, before the season mm-hmm. started, where I thought he could really become like the the next Jared McCann, which I think is kind of like happening right now, right? Like, uh, you know, offensive outputs that are kind of through the roof and, you know, maybe this untapped ceiling that no one really knew existed or, well, in the case of McCann, we, we probably all knew it existed, but um, Heinz is really building off you know, what one pre-existing really good year. Um, but I think the environment's right for him, you know, that this is the kind of place I think that his skill set could be maximized. He's really fast. He fits in the four check. Um, you know, what's the potential look like for him with like a Crosby or a Malkin? You know, that's crazy to think about, you know, like we've seen this with Jeff Carter, right? <laughs> like, you know, and don't get me wrong. Like, you know, if you go back to the first game, you know, where BJC big, you know, digs the puck out in the corner and, and Heinen's just getting, you know, it's all it is, is just knowing where to get to, you know, knowing where to, the goals are scored from, you know, having, you know, a little bit of an extra skill set. I think, you know, maybe more than we all thought when it comes down to getting those pucks on net to distributing the pucks. Uh, I've noticed him a ton defensively. Uh, you know, it's, you know, it, it, it's, it's encouraging, I think, to know that, you know, in, in this limited sample we've seen so far that he hasn't, you know, taken this ice time assignment and, you know, completely shat the bed with it, right? Like, you don't ever want to see someone get these minutes and fall flat on their face. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And going back to the first goal he scored in the Tampa game, um, that, that got the uh, wheels churning in my head a little bit in terms of could this guy play with Sidney Crosby because – that goal that they scored reminded me of a goal that Sid and Connor Sherry would have combined for during that back-to-back run in the regular season where they had incredible chemistry going with Jake Gensel down the stretch. Yeah, no, it fits right in for sure. Yeah. Um, And again, it's just, it's, you know, knowing where to be and knowing, you know, Jeff Carter is one of those players that can get the puck off uh, his stick pretty quickly. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think you have to be ready at all times, you know, for, um, you know, he's got a little bit of a head on a swivel type of an approach to the way that he plays. So, um, I think it fits in there, but I mean, now you, you know, obviously with Crosby, that's like times 10, but I think the point that I'm trying to make is that he seemingly has the skill set to be able to do that. Like you think about the dynamic element to like a rust Crosby Gensel line. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you get out of that, you know, that, that like, that's Heinen's got that same skill set. You know, it's sort of unassuming, right? It's not flashy. It's not, um, 
the kind of thing you see on the highlight reels all the time, but it's effective and he knows where to go to, to get points. Definitely. Definitely. And I mean, it's going to be massive for them to have this other potential option in Heinen down the stretch whenever everyone gets healthy, if they ever get healthy is the, is the key because, you know, just like with Rust, he looks like a guy where the skill set could also translate to playing with Malkin. And that would be big because that might give Jason Zucker a different spot in the lineup, different role type deal. And honestly, like this team is the way it looks right now through the first couple of games, it's looks extremely encouraging for what it could potentially look like once you get the top two centers back. And once even just once you get Crosby back. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, even just one of them, right? I mean, I don't think that, um, look, I mean, I, I love what Brian Boyle's done, you know, at center so far. I think, you know, it, how can you not enjoy the story, mm-hmm. but he's missing a half a step. And that, that's not a big deal in October or November. It's a pretty big deal in March and in April. And I, and I love what he could bring you in a spot start. Um, but I don't think he's got the faculties to play 82 games. Um, I don't think he's equipped for it anymore. And I think that eventually, you know, that half step becomes, you know, three quarters of a step becomes a whole step and it just gets worse. It's not going to get better. Right. Um, that's no knock on it. I mean, it's just reality situation. So I, I, Evan Rodriguez to me is, you know, this ongoing sort of like, uh, I don't understand. I don't, I, I don't, I almost am over him at center completely. And I think if you're going to play him at all, like wing is probably the best place to do it. Um, it's just like eating mashed potatoes. That's what it is. It's a big hop, like a steaming, but you don't get any butter, salt, pepper, or gravy. It's just this hot spoonful of mashed potatoes. And it's going like, it, you know, sure, it's going to fill you up, right? It doesn't taste great. It's got, it's very bland. Uh, I'm over it. I'm just, as a, like, and again, like, I want to, I want to stress that, like, I don't hate it in, as a wing, but like a two way role for me is, is not getting done because like, in, the, in this system, the way the breakout works, and I'm going to try to like articulate this without video as best as I possibly can, but the way the breakout works is you always are going to have two forwards that are going to come through and play the strong side together, right? Mm-hmm. The center is the person who decides how that's going to work right who he's going to pair up with as players are looping back through the zone it's that that late f3 sometimes is what stirs the the drink and i don't for me there's just i've got i've got a whole thing i I just it's i have complaints about his decision making process so uh i would more i'd just as soon as slot teddy bluger up and feed him more ice time at this point um for i think the work for he's done in this point in the season um radim zahorna you know somewhere waiting to get into the lineup, I think as well. But um, yeah, I mean, to your point, guys, look, I mean, I, you mentioned Jason Zucker too, and like, you know, potentially creating a different role for him. But I actually think that like their early returns, you know, granted it's been three games are completely, completely different than the way that we started last year uh, for him. I, I made the comment that I thought that, you know, one of the real bummers for Zucker was that if you look back at like, you know, zone entries and contributing to shots off the rush and puck battles and just 
puck retrieval. Like he was just not good with all that last year. So it wasn't just that he wasn't scoring and, um, you know, the metrics themselves where he was kind of getting buried, right? Like in, in a lot of situations, I think like peripherally, there wasn't a lot of other great things that he was doing on top of that, that kind of could make you live with the fact that all the other numbers are bad. Um, that to me seems to have like already kicked off to a different tune this year. And you've noticed them, I think in a lot more productive ways um, with generating, you know, whether it be winning loose pucks that have been dumped in or crossing the blue line with possession or being the guy who takes the shot. I think the eye test and the metrics so far this year for Zucker have actually been a completely night and day story as well. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Go ahead. Oh, sorry to cut you off there, Dougie, but uh, <laughs> I will admit, Jesse, I did not expect to get the comparison between Evan Rodriguez and mashed potato. So yeah, it's just not – I don't, man. I, I'll give you that one. That's one of the and people hate on me because, like uh, – I don't hate on me, but, like, I got the – like, I somehow, you know, get memed with Dominic Simone a lot. And, like, you know, like, I – I have my defenses of the guy, you know, but he is what he is, right? Like he is what he is. Like Evan Rodriguez for me is like not even at the dot. Like there's just no booing. Like I think the one thing with Dominic Simone is like you put him somewhere and then all of a sudden all the players on there, like they have more shots, they have more scoring chances. And whether or not he's responsible for that, maybe, I don't know. You know, we can have a debate about that till we're blue in the, in the face. Rodriguez, I don't even think really gives you that bump. You know, I think that's the frustrating thing. And, and again, I think like it's just the center perspective for me that, you know, I could live with him on a wing. I just think it's, yeah. <laughs> the only other player I think, I, I, by the way, I've ever given that comparison about is Michelle Ouellette. If you're really back in time to the Michelle Terrian area. Uh, yeah. yeah. That, is a, that is an older one, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, going back to Danton Heinen, obviously, I mean, Obviously, you guys have said, you know, it wouldn't be a, a horrible idea to, you know, plug him in on a line with uh, Sater and or Gino. But honestly, I mean, it seems like he and Carter are playing really well together. I think even if even if Sid and Gino do return, I mean, maybe you keep those guys together because so far it's been working out in the early. I, I understand, again, we're only three games in, but so far those guys have been clicking. Yeah, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. Uh, so I 100 percent agree with you there. And we were just talking a minute ago, you know, about how good Jeff Carter's – or, excuse me, Jason Zucker's been. So maybe, you know, Sid comes back, you know, you're going to play him and Jake together, right? Um, maybe this is the time that, you know, you, you roll Zucker, Carter, Heinen, um, throw Kapanen up there, see if, like, Crosby kick him kickstart his season a little bit. Because maybe you can look at what Kasperi Kapanen did in the preseason. Um, and, and I think that – I think, like, something is, you know – it's just not clicking on that line. You know, it's just that that environment doesn't seem to really be um, maximizing, I think, how good he is right now. Um, so I, I'd, I would 100% roll out Gensel Crosby Kapanen as my top line for just at least a game. Um, and that's this coming from a guy who said that he didn't think Kapanen and Crosby could play together a year ago. Um, I don't know that I stand by that anymore. I think that uh, – like from what we've seen, you know, he's got a little bit more, a little bit more of like a wrecking ball nature, I think, to his game than probably we and initially anticipated. It's just in the sense that, like, you know, getting in on the forecheck, breaking the play up, causing turnovers, you know, being able to shift the tide of the game, you know, that way. Uh, I think that fits in with with Gensel and Crosby. So 
maybe something to look for, you know, possibility we see that uh, that partnership tried out from Mike Sullivan really for the first time. Um, now that we've discussed it, it'll be Brock McGinn that plays up there. But, um, you know, it's just it's one thing we really haven't seen since Kapanen's come here is a long drink of water up there with Sidney Crosby. And I wonder if maybe, uh, you know, necessity being the mother of invention, uh, if it if maybe Mike Sullivan doesn't have much of a choice um, or he doesn't care, by the way, as much as we care about the Carter and Heinen relationship and uh, BJC just slides down and Heinen stays up there. That's the other possibility here. But uh, it's just something to think about. You know, we haven't really seen uh, Kapanen and Crosby, you know, link together like that at all. Yeah, I, I like that. Um, I lean more towards keeping Heinen up there simply because I feel like in a small sample size last year, Zucker, Carter, and Kapanen were really good together. And I'm curious to see if they can rekindle that because, you know, Malkin, if whenever Malkin comes back and he's actually healthy and ready to go, you can reunite him with Rust if Heinen is still clicking up with Sid and Jake. And that gives them the ability to roll three really good lines for the first time since they had uh, the HBK line fully rocking and rolling back in 17 and 16 and 17. So that gives you, so you're, where are you putting Brian Rust in that scenario then? With Malkin on the second line. On the second line. Yeah. Okay. I got you. Yeah. And that works for me. I mean, there's just a, there's something to be said though for and it, you know sample size like being the caveat here but if you were to like parse out some of the best penguins offensive lines of like the last you know five years uh gensel crosby rust is up there uh, mm-hmm. i think from sustainability perspective so i'm with you uh i don't i don't dislike that idea uh, i think let's see how much of a ceiling we get out of Dan Heinen. I think that like really getting into, you know, Thanksgiving and beyond is going to tell you that and you get a much larger sample size and you find out, you know, what's the sustainability look like to a lot of what he's doing. But look at, I want to be clear about something too, guys, like behavior drives sustainability sometimes. And what I mean by that is like, it's always easier for a player to keep go- scoring goals when he keeps creating chances, Right. It's a lot harder to dig yourself out of a situation where you're not creating chances. It's a lot harder for the, the goal scoring well to dry up when it's raining all the time, right? Like you get what I'm putting, like he's mm-hmm. putting himself a lot of, I think what's baguette of him, you know, recently here, he's put himself in those situations or he's created a play or he's, you know, caused a turnover. I mean, that, that's, you know, you, you know, you, you have to give him credit for a lot of this environment that he's been in, you know, it's not like he's completely just riding the coattails, to the people around him here, you know, he's, he's been a really good individual contributor to, I think what's going on. And anytime you have that element, it makes it, I think a little bit less likely that, you know, things just completely go off the rails there. And, you know, uh, you, you know, you, you're, you know, uh, you tap your luck out, so to speak, by the time you get to Halloween or something. Definitely. Now, moving forward, what are your thoughts on Brock McGinn to start the year? Um, obviously had a nice goal on a really good pass from Drew O'Connor Saturday night against Chicago. But, um, uh, you know, and obviously we haven't seen a whole lot of what that Bluger line could potentially look like with Aston Reese being on the COVID list up until 
again Saturday night, but what do you think the ceiling is for that line? And do you think that there's potential for them to be better with McGinn than they were with Brandon Tanev? I don't think so. I think, I think it'll be the same. I think the potential is there for them to really be as equal, you know, defensively as they were. Mm-hmm. Um, with Brandon Tanev there, which is what you hope for with that line. You know, anything you get offensively is a bonus. Um, Brock McGinn is probably better individually offensively, but I think you're sacrificing a lot with just regards to physicality for checking, you know, like it, don't get me wrong. Like he's very effective. You know, I think the drop-off is probably, you know, nowhere near as noticeable as people probably thought it was before the season started, but for me, it's just the me- the means to it, Doug, like how they go about their business is so different, mm-hmm. right? So totally different. So I think the results will probably be similar. Um, that is largely, I think, driven by like Bluger and Aston Reese being so good defensively that you could probably put like one of us out there and it wouldn't be that huge of a drop off for them. Um, yeah. you know, and, and Bluger, especially, you know, the, he had the experience of captaining his home country in the off season, right. And, and, and we're in the sea, um, you had, you know, I think he coming, I think he came back looking slimmer and faster this year. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe a little bit more mass in terms of muscle as well. Uh, you know, like you said, you know, I haven't really had a chance to see Zach Aston Reese yet because the protocols. Um, but I, I love that line. Like, I, I think you're, you're doing pretty well. Um, you know, I think with the three of them together, you know, McGinn's always been a decent player defensively. And I think now he has the opportunity to elevate that a little bit, playing with two guys who are truly, um, you know, in the top 10th percentile of the National Hockey League, with their defensive outputs every single year. Um, you know, he, he maybe doesn't give you that necessarily, but neither did Brandon Tanev before he came to Pittsburgh either. So, you know, I think that, that it's a partnership that sort of lends itself to, you know, elevating the defensive performance of everyone around it. And uh, he's, you know, I think you've already seen it, you know, maybe he doesn't go in like Tanev did like a missile and, and launch himself, you know, a hundred miles an hour without any regard for his own well-being, but he could still take your angle away. You know, he can still get in there and he has a very active stick. So you'll see him get on the forecheck and make defensemen uncomfortable. And he's not physical. He's not doing it because he's hitting you. He's doing it because, you know, he's fast. He's got good closing speed. And he's kind of like, you know, he's on top of you out of nowhere in a hurry. And that that is just as effective, I think, as being outright physical and, you know, coming at somebody 100 miles an hour and blasting them. You know, if you could take their lane away and just make them, you know, a little bit uncomfortable sometimes that's all is really is necessary uh, you know uh, to, to get a turnover and that's that's I think really sort of been the story of McGinn so far okay I like that I like that um, another guy we haven't really touched on yet obviously just pretty briefly but Dominic Simone looks completely different than what he did the last time he was here um, at least from an eye test perspective. Um, do you think that he should still draw in the lineup whenever the team's fully healthy? Uh, like, is there a spot for him? Yeah. I mean, I think so. Right. Um, it's a one way, de- it's a, you know, it's a two way deal though. Excuse me. So if he, you know, if you don't need him and he clears waivers and goes down and plays for you somewhere else in the American hockey league, you, you know, it's, you save money. Um, I don't know. I, I just, 
yeah, it, I, 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 it's crazy to me that it's he's like, like I said, such a lightning rod of a player. And I get it. Like, I think the question I always like, what I ask people when it comes to Dominic Simone is, is like, do you care who scores the goals? Like, that's a question I always ask. Does it matter to you who scores? If the answer to the question is yes, it matters to me that he individually scores goals, you probably aren't going to be happy with his performance. If the answer is no, it doesn't matter to me that it's him scoring. It matters to me that the team is scoring more. You probably love him because everywhere he goes, players end up, I, I mentioned earlier, they end up with more scoring chances. They end up with more looks at the net. He is the kind of player that, from a micro stats perspective, creates things and works pucks out of jams and gets them onto sticks of talented players and doesn't finish. <laughs> like, okay, like we get it. Like, but does it matter if, if, if he misses three wide open nets, right? But the line as a whole scores seven more goals, even with his whiffs. Do you care that much about those whiffs? anymore no. you know like i it's it's be for me and i don't say this like it's not a knock on anybody's hockey knowledge it's not a, everybody enjoys it it's just for me it's not being able to see the forest for the trees for me it's like cutting off your nose to spite your face and saying like this line could score 10 more goals but because this player is going to miss and whiff on three i don't want it <laughs> you know, it's like come on man like you know it's, it's frustrating to see him not be able to finish but like if he's if you're tangibly walking out you know it's just turning it's like turning if your friend came over to your house with a six-pack and being like ah, i don't want that free beer like i don't want it I, like all right cool like i'll take it like <laughs> like i don't you know it's it's just uh that's that's the way i've always viewed it guys you know it's 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 mad sure it's maddening sometimes and there's certain opportunities that come his way especially when he plays with crosby you you know always seems to you know put the puck on somebody's stick out of nowhere you know you always end up with a situation where you're like man i could have finished that one you know um but there's all like it's the sum it, you know over time you start to realize like man like there's more chances here than there were before there's more shots here than there were before like what's going on I don't know why it didn't work in Calgary. You know, I didn't pay too close attention to them last year to, to be able to comment on it, but Hey, you know, so far so good. And, you know, I think if anything is for sure, Mike Sullivan has a lot of faith in his ability to go out and execute the system well. And for that reason alone, I think you're probably likely to see him stay in the lineup. Yeah. And my crazy idea about it, and I've talked about this with Scotty and I've talked about it on the podcast before, is when the team is fully healthy and ready to go, I don't think I would hate him being the third wheel on that Aston Reese Bluger line because he has good defensive zone impacts. He plays the role. He knows the system, and it gives Brock McGinn an opportunity to play higher up in the top nine. Yeah, I don't, I don't hate that either. Um, I don't, you know – I'm trying to think back to, I don't remember anything stand out from like Simone's defensive results um, from his last time here, but I wouldn't hate it. Now, I, you know, from a skill set perspective, I think it certainly, certainly works. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if like, I don't know if like you guys will agree with this or not, but like, I feel like there were other players on the penguins who traditionally like were maybe like not the greatest finishers, but elevated 
the game of like people around them that got way less hate. Like Ruslan Fedotenko was not traditionally a very good finisher. Like, you know, he was he had stony hands a little bit, you know, like let's be <laughs> honest. But like we don't think back to Fedotenko's time and be like, man, what a frustrating player. You know, like I don't know. I know I'm comparing Dominic Simone to Ruslan Fedotenko and that's stupid, but it's just to me, I feel like people are like really kind of unkind to Simone. I feel like he's like somehow or another like earned this like gross amount of public distrust for reasons I just don't understand. So anyway, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I feel I feel the same way with uh, Marcus Patterson, where I feel like every, I feel like almost every time I open Twitter or look at something, somebody is trying to run that dude out of town, and it's like. <laughs> Yeah, he's like one of the few defensemen you have that actually plays well with John Marino. Like you have to try and keep that guy at all costs, in my opinion. He's one of the few defensemen you have that actually plays defense. Yes. <laughs> I start there. Yes. It's a big deal. <laughs> you generally yeah. want to have a few of those. So. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> you know, and honestly, like, you know, it's a shame that Mike Matheson got banged up to start the year, but in the back of my mind, I was like cheering, like, thank God they get to keep Pedersen and Marino together. And if you saw the Lions today during practice, it looks like they're going to keep that together at least yeah, for right now. It looks like for now. Massive. Yeah. Mathis and, uh, and Rue Weedle look to be the move, uh, at least for today. So we'll see yeah. if that sticks. Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't really think that that line can be bad. I feel like the drop off between Cody Cece and Chatter Weedle isn't that different. And as it isn't that big of a drop off. So I feel like we could get similar results from maths and from what we got last year. No, Ruido, I think has been, has been totally fine. Uh, and in some cases uh, I think even better than necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That, that's sort of the story of his career, man. Like I don't, you know, you, you always kind of give him that number six deployment, you know, really comfortably. You don't have to really over uh, you know, babysit him necessarily or like you know keep a super close eye on every single thing he does you know it sort of works out so um yeah no i'm totally i'm i'm completely pleased with what i've seen from him so far um and we'll see what the we'll see what matheson has in the tank definitely definitely what do you got what do you got scotty Nothing really. I mean, I kind of agree with you guys, honestly. I think, uh, you know, as far as the – what you said, Dougie, the difference between CC and Ruedel isn't as big as people will imply it to be. You know, I think – obviously, CC had a great performance, had a great season last year, and he's – he earned his payday up in Edmonton, and a lot of people were upset that the Penguins let him walk, but I think that was going to happen either way. You know, just, just from the way he played in this past season, I think it's uh, – it was obvious that was going to happen. But so far, it hasn't been like Chad Ruedel has been a um, – you know, a detriment on the back end, I guess. He's still performed very, he's still performed at the level they need him to. He's been a solid top six guy. So I feel you got to let him roll right now for the most part until he gives you a reason not to. I will mention to you guys too, real quick. Um, I think Cody CC's having a, a heck of a year too uh, for the Oilers. Not heck of, um, but I think relative to the Oilers, right? Um, I think he's having a good year. He, you know, I really like, uh, game score, I think, is a way to like sort of summate, you know, uh, by the way, that, you know, it's only been two games. I, just, I don't want to get ahead of myself. 
but game score is a really good number that sort of like tells you who had the best game on any given night or like how good was a person's actual performance uh cody cc has the fourth best average game score of any edmonton oiler right now so um pretty indicative of like him you know not not sinking up there which i think was kind of like you consider the fact that like you know he things were going to look way different for him than they did last season uh you know there was a potential that like the wheels fell off that bus and then it caught on fire and like rolled off a cliff hey man like it's only been two games but so far that hadn't happened yet so shouts out to cody cc who in pittsburgh like has a bad word to say about him you know like dude came in on a one-year deal you know with the necessity that he was basically playing for his career um and knocked it out of the park so uh job well done yeah, I feel like he's one of those few people that have come through here that it's u- unanimous. Like everybody was on board with and respected Cody Cece. Yeah. You know, very rarely do you get that somewhere, especially Pittsburgh, I feel. Yeah, 100%. Um, what have your thoughts been on Tristan Jari to start the year? I mean, I don't think he's looked bad, but – you know, I wanted to know what you were thinking, Jesse. I'm like kind of uh, impressed. Mm-hmm. I, I, if I could go as far as to say that, I don't know. Is that a hot take? Uh, I, I think he's been unbelievable. Like I, you know, go back to Tampa. Um, you know, I thought that that he deserved a shutout. You know, like I thought that, that he played well enough to not have a goal uh, allowed that night. Uh, you know, he didn't allow a lot from a rebound perspective. I thought he kept everything clean in front of the crease, uh, seemed to be really confident and, and on top of it, um, you know, sort of approached, I think, uh, shooters with, with a lot of confidence. Um, and then you sort of had that bizarre decision, bizarre because I don't think anybody expected it to go with Casey DeSmith immediately, right? There was this immediate shift uh, to go with the Smith against Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, the question I think was like, you know, does Tristan Jari, you know, does this slow him down? Right. Like what happened? Like, you know, obviously he's playing at home, um, but does he lose that momentum from that strong performance against Tampa? And, you know, I know Chicago was, um, you know, they left a lot to be desired there, um, you know, in terms of their performance. Uh, but, you know, for me anyway, I, I thought that uh Again, there were times where he was challenged. There was times where he, you know, um, was asked to answer a bell, so to speak, and um, and did so. So um, some of the things that plagued that uh, Islander series and sort of made you cringe, uh, puck handling, rebound control, depth of which he's playing in the crease. All these things were sort of like on the forefront of all of our minds when the season began. And I think we've sort of systematically seen them all be addressed in one way or another. So it's early, right? Pump the brakes. Like, let's not get carried away here. But if he continues to only allow two goals against, um, you know, for the rest of the season, we're going to be in pretty good shape. <laughs> you know? So uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm thoroughly impressed. Yeah. yeah. I think, uh, well, he's done. And again, I understand it's only two games in, but from what I've seen so far, it's not bad. You know, you figure your first game of the season, after when everyone's, you know, kind of, it's in a sense, all eyes on you. 
you're going up against the defending champs and you step in and stop, I think it was 26 to 28. That's pretty noteworthy, I'd say. Oh, sure. But Scotty, you just said it, though. Like, if the only other option for him, like, the only option for him was to do this, right? Like, if he comes out against Tampa and lays a total egg, like, where are we at? Like, what conversation are we having right now? Like, I, I just don't think the leash was long enough to afford anything but this. You know, this was this was this this was like his career. You know, your or not career, but your career in Pittsburgh anyway. You know, is on the line and how you play in the first month of the season. I agree with that too. And another thing, like you touched on earlier about you know the short leash and having to Smith play on that on that Thursday night against Florida. I think that's just the fact you don't want to burn a guy out too early. You know, you got three game you got three games in what was it, five or six days. I don't. I just feel like they didn't want to you know, give them too much to handle at first, you know, let them, you know, keep that confidence in a sense. Cause if they go up against Florida and then he totally lays an egg the way he does. And if he does, you know, have a, a bad game, then his confidence could be shot. So yeah. I don't think you want to, you know, just, you know, let the guy ride high for a little bit as, as best he can and then just go from there. Yeah. And they have two good goalies too. Right. So like, you know, you want to get to Smith in there as quickly as you can and get him started on this and, uh, get his feet in the water considering how things ended for him last year and, you know, the injury that the, that he dealt with. So, um, you know, I, uh, I think, you know, probably I would all be feeling, I think we'd have to see feeling a little bit better right now, uh, you know, about the situation uh, than, than how we exited last season. So I think everybody will take that, you know, given uh, the potential this had to, you know, I think really go off the rails Yeah, I, I agree, you know, and the thing that excites me about Jari is although he's struggled mightily at times throughout his tenure in Pittsburgh, I feel like this guy's ceiling hasn't even been touched yet. And there, I feel, I feel like there's, he has so much more to give um, from, from in, in his play. And I think that there's a lot of potential for him to, have a nice breakout and get back to like that all-star game appearance type form that he was in um, a couple years back. And, you know, like if he gets, I mean, we saw it with Matt Murray, if he gets hot at the right time, who knows what con- kind of conversation we're having like six months from now. Yeah. You know, I don't think people like really appreciate this Doug, to your point, like how rare this is. Um you know, Tristan Jari was drafted as a backup. Like, mm-hmm. he was not the starter his draft year. I think he played, like, 14, 15 games the year he was eligible, and, and people were like, mm, we're fine with this. You know, like, we're okay with not really having a lot on tape here because, like, we know, you know, that again, to your point, like, there's a pedigree conversation to be had here. Um, so I, I agree with you. Like, I don't know that it's really been realized to hundred percent. Um, you know, I think that a lot of people have just the greatest things to say about Andy Kyoto, right? Like, and I don't know the reason I'm so hesitant to sort of jump, I think, um, at, at these different things is, you know, with regards to goaltending coaches, because I just don't know how we quantify it. Like, I don't know how we quantify the impact of Andy Kyoto or like, or Mike Bales for that matter. And I don't know enough about them to know, you know, these are very like secretive relationships 
that aren't public and like don't get discussed a lot. So it's hard for me to like sit and say like, oh, this is definitely the work of so-and-so or this is, you know, they've worked on this behind the scenes. We just have to kind of like take everybody's word for it, um, which is kind of what that's really what the discussion is, is a lot of people, you know, I think will tell you that, hey, like this is a result of, you know, a lot of really good hard work with Andy Kyoto, and hey, that's great to hear, right? Yeah. 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 And like, like to go off of what you said, um, I feel like goaltending is very secretive. It's almost, I think the most comparable thing is like how it is with like kickers and punters in football, where you don't really know like what kind of an impact a, kick, a kicking coach has on a kicker or a punter. And I think, you know, same way with goalie coaches, like they, they brought uh, Mike Buckley in for a reason because he knew Matt Murray. I feel like, it's like most of the time you end up getting a goalie coach job because you've been working with that player for however long now. And it's almost like, you're just like an individual coach. Like you're like a skills coach in a sense. Sure. Yeah. Um, no, I agree with that. And um, there was a lot of disc. So Tristan Jari and um, I believe it was Laurent Brassois. Um mm went to the same academy um together um and you know dating way back you know all the way to their time in in edmonton um playing for the oil kings and i think you know that camp was very unique in how they train their goalies so when you kind of send these two kids off into the wild right uh, and you're, you know, giving them to NHL franchises, you know, is it keep, is it possible to continue that path of training and coaching, um, but simultaneously like having someone else facilitate it, like, or does, can you just totally change philosophy in the middle of a goalie's career? I don't know the answer to those questions. You know, like you said, it's very secretive and it's voodoo. Like, um, but I think with, with Jari noting that you know, he came from a very unique situation. It's, you know, maybe, maybe finding the sort of Goldilocks porridge, so to speak, um, is something that takes a little bit longer. That, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, with, with goalies, like, obviously to play off what you said, it seems like goalies, they, they, what I'm trying to say is, a goalie isn't going to develop overnight. You know, some goalies may not develop until they're in their late twenties. Um, oh, for like sure. Look, Doug, at, look at, look at what's going to happen this year with Spencer Knight. Yeah. I mean, that's probably like your, your number one test case. You know, I think for like what could potentially go wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, that, and like Spencer Knight is very good. Arguably one, like, arguably the best goalie prospect we've seen come to the league in quite some time, mm -hmm. but he's young. The big role. We know the performance that Chris Drieger had to put up last year down there in order yeah. to get that team into the postseason. So now you're going to, you're asking Spencer Knight to do that. Like, Whoa, you know, like that's, that's a, that's a big ask. You know, I think it is. <laughs> and I, and you know, look around at Carter Hart, you know, like, Look at Carter Hart's debut performance this season, following up a year where the we like wheels completely fell off the car for him. Uh, you know, not a not an encouraging you know, 
uh, not an encouraging start to a new campaign. So uh, yeah, it's it's a completely difficult position. And like, I don't know, I'm normally the kind of person that is like, you know, play all your good young players all the time. But I think when it comes to goalies, like I just want to like, you, you should send them underground, actually not even bring them above the earth until they're 25 years old. And then at that point, you can bring them out into sunlight and actually get them into games somewhere. Because um, otherwise, you're just risking um, a complete destruction of their development because the wind blew the wrong way and a light, you know, lightning crashed in Texas. And then, you know, your goalie uh, you know, suddenly has three years of a sub 900 save percentage. So yeah, that's how it works. Yeah. And Go back to what you said real quick there, Doug, about guys just get developing later on in some cases. Perfect example of that's Jack Campbell in Toronto. Yeah, yeah. Look at him how right close, now, man. How close was that guy to not even making it? They can't even take him out. Like <laughs> they tried taking Jack Campbell out of a game for five minutes this year and they had to put him right back in. Yeah, exactly. There's I mean, that guy's done such a complete turnaround. I cannot be happy for him. So it's great to see him finally getting it together too. Yeah, another good young one to keep an eye on too this year. I think it's this Peterson kid in Los Angeles that just took yeah. over for uh, Jonathan Quick too. He's some he's got like a little bit of a unassuming Matt Murray vibe as a compliment. That's a really <laughs> good. That's a really good comparison. I like that a lot. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that's real good stuff. And what I was gonna say, like to bounce off what Scotty said, you know, like Tim Thomas. Look at how old he was. Oh, sure. Mar- Marty Turco broke the goals against average record in the NHL at like age 28. Yep. You know, it's it's no overnight thing. And I like that they're sticking with Tristan Jari because I, I, I've always had this vision where, at least recently, where he could go on a crazy run. They could take him to a cup. You know, I mean, I think that that's – I think that that could be in our future because this team reminds me so much of the team that won it in 2016. Um, you know, lots of uncertainty going into the year. Um, and they just go and blow it right out of the water. Uh, yeah. You know, the depth pieces are there. The young guys are there. I think they're about to get a new, a decent crop of talent up from Wilkes-Barre at some point in the next year to year and a half that's going to help them so much through the next couple of years of Sid and Gino. Yeah, it's that's I mean, it's encouraging. Um, you know, I I think that you you're probably partially bummed that you know one of them didn't come in and just like a light like the city ablaze and you know score nine thousand goals in training camp um, to make the team. But um, Drew O'Connor, here's a fun factoid for you. Uh, I mentioned earlier I love game score because it takes all the things that happen in a game and just spits out one handy dandy number weighted for all the, the important things that you do in a hockey game. Drew O'Connor is the, the top average game score for the Penguins through the early portion of the season. Uh, really impressive. And like, you know, that takes into account like miscellaneous micro performances, right? Like mm-hmm. dumping pucks in, getting retrievals, you know, zone entries, all that good stuff. Um, it really just, super solid early early returns for him so um yeah and i know that uh a lot of people love um um their pustin and update so he scored a howitzer for wilkes for scranton 
uh, over the weekend for his debut too. So um, there's any number of young guys in there that could, uh, you know, I think stir the pot and, uh, you know, make a surprise appearance later on this season. Yeah. And honestly, like, just dating back from the start of this podcast, I'm a really big Drew O'Connor guy. I've always been like a Drew O'Connor truther in a sense. Mm. And I think, you know, he reminds me, and I was texting um, Zach Smith from around the 412 about this the other day. I told him that um, he reminds me a lot of Scott Wilson in a sense where he has that talent. He has the ability to play like a grinder mentality but he also has the talent where if they did have to stick him with like a Malkin for a handful of games, he wouldn't look out of place. Yeah, no, perfectly said. Um, and I think, you know, the, the, the legs feed the wolf, right. Is the old saying. And uh, that's his game is just being able to get up ice and uh, attack, um, be a four checker, be physical. I guess when you notice him, uh, you know, I, I don't know if it, he's, the kind of player I lean on to make things happen with his hands. Um, uh, but, you know, again, it's a Dupuis conversation with Crosby, right? Like, I think that, you know, he's, he's, he's got enough of a wrecking ball sort of, um, you know, mentality and approach to things that, you know, it's not a huge, you know, it, there's no, the, the drop off, you know, really isn't, uh, really isn't terrible there. That's yeah, I, I totally agree, you know, and I think, you know, especially like going back to the Scott Wilson thing, when they were at their best going into that Ottawa series in 17, Scott Wilson was up on that Malkin line being just like the perfect third wheel at times. And I, I really want that to be in Drew O'Connor's future, because if you have him up there playing left wing, that gives them the all the opportunities in the world to build like a super third line, similar to what they had whenever they went back to back. Yeah. And even if they don't, you know, completely recapture, um, you know, how good that was, um, I think even just a step in that direction would be welcome. So, yeah, um, I mean, look, they, they have to have, noting the fact that, you know, prior to any savings that comes in from long-term injured reserve, they have like, you know, five dollars available in cap space they've got to find a way to organically get people up here on entry-level contracts mm-hmm. um in the and and you know get a performance out of them I mean, that's going to be the best way they're going to stay competitive in the twilight of all this i think um you know honestly is just is is going to be you know maximizing those situations so definitely definitely scotty do you have anything else? Um, I think we got everything covered for the most part. So, yeah. Yeah. Been an interesting three games to start the season, obviously. And the one thing I do want to say also, because I know a lot of people were bummed out about the loss against Florida. If you had told me heading into those heading into the those two games down in Florida that we were going to get three points out of that, you'd have taken that in a heartbeat. Oh, for sure. Exactly. And here's the thing I'll tell people too about the Florida game is it's difficult for me to even really put this ana- an analysis to it because it was just so much an officiating crap show, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you had, the, I think the officials just way too involved with what were going on in that game. It was weird. It didn't make any sense. Um, 
so it was just one of those ones for me it was like man like it's hard to even grade that you know like they came in they got a point and you know it was great let's move it on and you know they, they took care of their business against Chicago so um yeah I'm with you I mean to, to do it to, to get that level of uh you know result early in the year with your back you know sort of against it in every way um you'll take that every time and also one more thing that I want to add on to is it crazy to think that Marc-Andre Fleury's potential last game in Pittsburgh was him getting pulled 12 minutes into the game. Disappointing. <laughs> what a bummer. Yeah. Yep. That's just uh, what an ugly situation that whole, that whole team is right now. I don't know. Man. That's just, uh, yeah, we'll find out. I don't know. Uh, this keeps up though. You know, I, I told, I said on Twitter, like, you're going to be making Marc-Andre Fleury miss the days of like Joseph Millicar and Dan Folk. Yeah. Big Dan. Big Dan. That's wild. All right. Jesse, you have anything else you want to plug? Like you have anything coming up? Big. Yeah. This week, actually, uh, we're going to continue the Danton Heinen hype festival video breakdown of some of the stuff he's been up to uh, through these first couple of games. So yeah. Big uh, Danton Heinen hype fest coming coming out on uh, probably Thursday. Awesome. We love to hear that. Well, Jesse, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. My pleasure, boys. Thanks again, and uh, enjoy the rest of uh, the year, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you soon. All right. Sounds good, man. All right. So this has been another episode of Four Checking TV. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Four Checking TV. Subscribe to us on YouTube and get and look for us wherever you can get your podcast from. All right, guys, thank you and good night.